0: Yeah, feel this from the bottom of my heart, y'all, truly inspired, here we go, come on, look, yo, yo. homie, I was taught by a Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher. I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher, so I'm inspired by the fight from my Chicago teachers. Homie, I was taught by a Chicago teacher Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher So I'm inspired by the fight from our Chicago teachers The teachers are tired, the students dumbfounded The budgets get cut so classes are overcrowded Streets full of violence, the blue coat is silence So I'ma keep rhyming till salaries start rising The unions are rising, taken to the streets The workers are united so the mayors got beef Rhymes a fake pretender with a corporate agenda Neoliberal offender, of course you offend us This ain't about money, that's far for the truth They want better work conditions to teach the youth Politicians, I don't trust them, it's all in the name The president, the mayor, all want political gain They'd rather put the kids in jail Shacklin' with chains that provide an education That challenges the brain Top-down education Chicago the birthplace Now it's spread a nationwide all over the place They don't teach us how to think they teach us how to test, they teach us how to work to put money in they checks. The CEOs need to get up out the classroom before these streets get hotter than the sand in Cancun. So join the picket line like Mr. Pickett in his prime. Put on your red shirt like the Bulls at 95. Hit the streets with a sign, they say I'm fighting for mine. It's a fork in the road and you gotta choose a side. And yes, I'm about to say I was a public school student, it was public school teachers that I'm proud to say i was a public school student a public school teacher first taught me music homie i was taught by a chicago teacher chicago teacher chicago teacher i learned to read and write from a chicago teacher so i'm inspired by the fight from my chicago teachers went to Mill lincoln school and a little school bus desegregation Pay 20 cents for lunch. Reduced price ticket for the lower income children. Art and music classes in between math and English. Now it's different. They just teaching to the test. Forced by the feds, or they losing that check. Too many children left behind by this corporate assembly line. How they privatize education is a human right. And their kids gonna be fine. They sent on the private schools while ours get sent to prison or given a job serving fast food, cash rules so it gets treated like a business. Bought and sold. A Businessmen turned politicians So from was the chief of staff And Arnie Duncan got his start In Chicago selling off the education system Then Obama gotta respond The teachers or the corporations Which side is he on? The streets is getting hot They blame the heat on Chief Keith, But it's a million others like him being created every week And we don't teach, we don't learn And the streets is gonna burn before it gets worse I put on my red shirt cuz, homie, I was taught by a Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher. I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher, so I'm inspired by the fight for my Chicago teachers. Homie, I was taught by a Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher. I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher, so I'm inspired by the fight for my Chicago teachers man elementary where Illinois went. Lincoln School. Plain Tech, Lincoln Park High School.
1: back you're listening to indigo radio wvew fm um Rattleboro something community radio station um also streaming online at www.wvew.org um this is indigo radio deepening understanding making connections we're on the air every Sunday on the community radio station, but we're also, um, on iTunes, Apple iTunes podcast and SoundCloud, um, whenever you want to listen to us. Um, so don't be constricted by Sundays at noon. We are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. And you can also find us on Facebook at Indigo Radio and on Instagram, um, and on Twitter, we're, uh, we're Spark Teacher Education Institute. So the views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guests and not the radio station. Um, my name is Nina Kunimoto, and I am a doctoral student at the University of Massachusetts in Boston, and I'm actually interviewing one of my cohort mates, um, Artist C. Street, who is a also a PhD student at UMass Boston um, and his area of focus is technology but he is a um, math teacher and uh, at the University of Massachusetts he, he teaches I think he teaches math um, and he also teaches at a public school in Boston um, and he does um, what he, what is called trans Formational Coaching, which he'll explain in the interview. Um, The music I just played was Rebel Diaz, Chicago teacher. Um, I always love playing Rebel Diaz because their music is so relevant. Um, And also here, we've invited them here to Brattleboro, Vermont to perform and to give a workshop on the history of hip hop. Um, And we've invited them via via Zoom during the pandemic um, to do, you know, a workshop on um, hip hop and activism um, for the youth here. So I always love playing their music and and promoting their work. Um, so without further ado, I want to just jump into um, the interview with artist C Street. Uh, he'll be talking today about uh, mathematics. Um, he talks about his own history with math. Um, his own history of, you know, growing up in underfunded schools in, uh, in a predominantly Black American uh, school. And he also talks about teaching um, students of color um, and how to integrate uh, pedagogy
2: and content
1: um, that is, that's
2: social justice oriented. My name is Artist C. Street. Born and raised in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, um, and uh, and as an educator by um, heart, you know, really an educator by birth. Um, every every walks and part of my life, I have seemed like I've been involved in in education. Um, you know, from supporting my my aunt with setting up her classroom to, uh, you know, tutoring my cousins and and. You know, relatives with math and science who um, mm. so have always been, um, you know, in education. Even when I did a spell in the high tech industry for about fourteen years, I was always volunteering, you know, at and school systems. Um, and so, a transition to education was um really not a uh, you know some people want to call it a career change for me it really wasn't a career change it was like getting back to my original purpose yeah <laughs> uh you know being being an educator so so work that um uh, you know and I, and as I transitioned to education it was all through Boston Public Schools so came out of Boston Boston teacher residency program um right into Boston Public School um system so
1: but you, I'm just curious. Just you went to school like your for your high school and elementary was in Florida.
2: That's correct. My from uh, elementary to high school was all Fort Lauderdale, Florida, so Broward County School District, and then uh, my my college and u- university work was Florida State University for undergrad. For actually, I started as a math major, a math mm. education major, and then I changed it to engineering. Because I'm like, you got to take the same amount of math, so I'm always go to engineering <laughs> and chase the money. <laughs> oh God, that's what I did. Right. In 14 years, yes. <laughs> so,
1: so it sounds like you have been interested in math since the beginning. Like, can you like describe or explain like how your interest in math was peaked?
2: Yeah, it was an interest in, in math and engineering. It was kind of, I think it was a, a two-folder, you know. Um, when I was a, a little kid, when I was a little kid, my, my mom bought me two gifts for, um, you know, the Christmas holiday. And those two gifts was a a remote-controlled, control, radio radio-controlled car and a train set. And um, I was so intrigued uh, by those two toys, if you will, that it just, you know, I wanted to know more about you know, how they worked and mm-hmm. what was behind, you know, them working. So it just, it sparked off um, a curiosity uh, uh, from there. And and so that, that kind of led, you know, specifically led me into the, you know, the STEM, you know, arena. I wouldn't know it as STEM back then, but that's, that's pretty much, you know, how, how I got started. And so from there, it led to, you know, VCRs, it led to radios, you know, opening them up, tearing them apart. People thought I can fix them and I really couldn't. <laughs> I just right, right. What was inside, you know, the televisions and, and A-Track, Take Deck. I don't know if you remember those.
1: I do remember those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it just shows our age. <laughs> <laughs> indeed,
2: indeed. So, uh, so that, that kind of sparked my interest. And the next vivid memory I have, was a texas instrument calculator an led instrument calculators that have the led display the display I, so for some reason, I have a vivid memory of those calculators from my middle school. And that's about the only thing outside of a, a middle school dance that I remember <laughs> from middle school. Oh, boy. <laughs> is, that, is that calculator. <laughs> and, um, and using that calculator. and And I went to a predominantly Black middle school. I went to a predominantly Black elementary school up until like the beginning of third grade. And then I went to a very uh, diverse um, elementary school from third to fifth grade. And then high school, it was ma- majority black as well. You know, so I went to majority mm-hmm. black high school. And I say that only to say that, you know, in my middle and high school, we didn't have all the latest equipment other schools probably had at that time. Right. Right. But right. right. A couple of stuff that I was able to be involved in. One, the TI calculator. The other when I got into the high school, it was an Apple, um, basic com- Apple computer. We had like one Apple computer with a math teacher, uh, Mr. Lee. I still remember his name today. And he, he allowed me to program, you know, doing some basic computer language on that computer. So instead of wow. doing the regular geometry stuff that everybody else was doing, you know, I was uh, programming uh, my first uh, code on the computer. My first program was to calculate, average out the student grades in his class. <laughs> so.
1: but let me just backtrack just a little bit, you know, in case the listeners um, might have missed it. You said, you know, I just want to contextualize what you said. And you said that, you know, I went for middle school and um, high school that you went to predominantly a uh, black school. And you also linked that with sort of the lack of resources that other schools might not have. And to really highlight that communities of co- schools in communities of color are underfunded. And, me- and that translates to having less tools, such as you know, more computers or more TI calculators and things like that. So I just wanted to contextualize that a little bit for the listeners.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I didn't recognize it at the time, um, you know, as a student. Um, growing up, but um, fully looking at that in terms of, you know, when, when you arrive to college and you begin to do some literary, literary research or, you know, some papers and some research and things like that, you begin to to realize of how inequitable, you know, our school system is from the very basic of providing material and things where students can, you know, um, explore with, right? And one one of the And I say that because one of the most intriguing piece of literature as a little kid for me growing up was the Highlight Magazine. And when I compare that Highlight Magazine to maybe some, you know, literature that, you know, I used in my my first elementary school, I can't say I can compare anything that was rememberable, right? That would capture my imagination or that would allow me to uh, be a cognitive thinker, you know, nothing Mm. comes to mind you know, um, doing that. And I wonder if it was, and and that highlight magazine was something, uh, my mom just did. I mean, a door salesman came to our door and she just, you know, she just bought it. And, and Mm -hmm. my mom was not in education, you know, um, she did not finish high school. And, um, so that was impressive, you know, even, you know, at that moment that she, she thought that that could have been a, that, that would be a piece that I would be interested in, or that would help me in my schooling. And, and she didn't realize probably at the time of of that single purchase of what Mm. that did to my curiosity and to my, and to my learning journey. Um, Mm. but but yeah, it it just goes back to, you know, again, oh, and the other thing, uh, I remember, I mentioned that I used to, um, my aunt, my aunt, Mm -hmm. my marriage to my mother's brother. She was a school teacher, second grade school teacher, and okay. um, and so I would go with my cousin with my aunt to her school to help her set up her school, and she worked in a district or in an area of the school that would be considered the suburb. It was in the western part of Broward County that was well funded. You know, almost all you know of, of Caucasian uh, white race. You know, so it was. Um, so when I walked in that building, it looked. Different. It felt different. It smelled different, and
0: right. the
2: amount of material that they had to use to hang up on the walls, to use from mm-hmm. the books they had around the rooms, in term, you know, it was it was different from what I had at, at my school. And, and and when I reflected on that when I was older, um, I recognized that big difference. And
1: when I was um, still training as a student teacher, the program. Had me watch um, Jonathan Kozl's Savage Inequalities. Mm. And it just, it just like, it's exactly like that, you know, where it's this high tech school in the suburbs with all the resources that it could possibly want. And then there were the, you know, underfunded schools, obviously in communities of color. And so, yeah, that um, just reminds me of that. But now, like, now you're a teacher right? You're a teacher in Boston, um, and I had the pleasure of visiting your school, which was amazing. Tell me a little bit about, just just to give a context, you know, what do you teach?
2: Okay, yeah. So, in, in entering Boston Public School, I started off in the freshman academy. Um, so, I, I taught mostly uh, uh, freshmen in high school, ninth graders, uh, either algebra one or, or geometry, or a combination of the two. Um, and I also taught classes where uh, you had, you know, undercredit, overage, you know, students, if you will. And so, how do we, you know, provide strategies, interventions, and you know, to catch them up in terms of where they should where they should be? So I was always fortunate enough to get, you know, that group of students. And I and I, and I say fortunate enough. Because some teachers, you know, they would shy away from, you know, what they would consider those tough classes, right? But I was fortunate enough to get those classes so that, you know, I can begin to connect, um, you know, with the students who had to catch up um, as well. So, and then I um, also taught some upper, you know, upper grades, you know, 11th uh, 11th and 12th grade um, courses. And then I was, um, pulled out of class to become an instructional coach for math and science, um, for math and science teachers. And in that process, uh, I know my, I remember my first two years of being pulled out of class. I had this love for teaching <laughs> clause for being pulled out of class. I said, could I at least keep one class? <laughs> uh, and you know how challenging that could be to try to be a an effective yeah. instructional coach as well as teaching your own classes, but I wanted to maintain that, that connection in terms of, of teaching. And then I you know, I saw that, you know, my um my career was going more into a instructional coach and an administrative type of uh leader role. And so I, I started teaching as an adjunct professor at University of Massachusetts and Boston. Oh, okay. So I was fortunate to uh land the role there. Um, you know, and so I I maintain, you know, my teaching, you know, my love for teaching um in that capacity. Um mm-hmm. well. so currently I am what the district is calling a transformational coach um, at my school. And it is a role that would um, coach teachers and help teachers and, and supporting staff of how do we unpack the racist and bias undertones and and that are in our curriculum that are in our instructional. Um, so how, how can we provide an unbiased, unracist curriculum and um, instructional and ins- experience for our students? And okay. so we're really. Um, uh, the district is really focusing on that this year, and I'm, I'm, you know, again, I am pleased to be in in that role um, today. So yeah. I'm still in the classroom, I still observe, I still uh, assist with uh, doing lesson plans and and unit planning with teachers, um, and I still I'm still in a position where I can also support um, students. And by the way, I created a STEM club. Uh, National Society not created actually established National Society of Black Engineer uh, Junior. It's a pre college initiative with the National Society of Black Engineers organization national organization. Um, I started that organization at the Burke um, at at my school um, about what ten years ago, and Mm -hmm. uh, we're still going. uh, We're still going, you know, strong. Um, You know, it takes on a different field every year with a different generation of students, but different class of students, but it, it is um, it's definitely still going on. So my connection with students and what they're doing in, in the classroom are also from that perspective as well.
1: Give a little insight into what uh, the your work as a transformational coach looks like. I, I'm I'm supposing like math content, and I wonder also if possibly math pedagogy as well. Um, unpacking um, the White supremacy and the and the racism that's embedded within it. So if you could talk a little bit about that, I think that might help.
2: Yeah, teachers. yeah, absolutely. And 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 we as a district and you know the transformational coach in, in the schools are, are really you know still in the beginning stages of all of this. But so so how it looks like? Number, number one, we definitely have to have a series of professional uh, development. So there is a. There is a common language around the why the purpose and the expectation right you know why are we doing this well we're doing this because we want to dismantle you know those uh, dehumanizing you know oppressive language and um, curriculum that we that we've been using you know um, for for this period of time right and and how are we gonna how are we gonna do that right what what is the purpose and how are we going to do that well we have to first consider the culture identities of our students that we're serving. Right. And so it goes back to, you know, uh, being culturally responsive teaching from, you know, Dr. Bill Mm -hmm. and Dr. Gay, you know, some of of that uh, theoretical approach. So, so looking at why, you know, the purpose of, 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 of why we're, why we're, why we're doing that. And then what is the expectation? Well, the expectation is that we're going to transform, what we have considered to be normal, right? We, we've considered the norm, the normality as let's produce, let's use curriculum, let's use instruction that that does not dismantle the opportunity gap, all right? We, we want to call it the achievement gap, but you know I prefer the term opportunity gap. Um, we want to continue using all that and, and consider that to be normal and it's working, but it's not, right? And so our expe- expectation will be. We want to transform that, right? So, how does that look? So, that looks that looks like first observing, you know, observing classrooms, um, a variety of classrooms, and, and mm-hmm. observe those classrooms under, um, you know, a critical race theory lens, if you will. Uh, observe those, you know, um, you know those classrooms under poly, poly, uh, Paulo uh, 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 Frazier you know, lens of of oppressive, you know, <laughs> nature and education, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so, so, you know, you begin to, you know, put on, you know, in addition to the instructional moves and, uh, what you're using in the curriculum and how are you using that in a classroom, we begin to look at it also in, in some of those lenses. Right. And, mm-hmm. then, and then actually just sitting down, you know, uh, one-on-one with, um, with teachers, um, and support staff and, you know, just unpacking and detecting, uh, some of those biases through the through the curriculum, right, and and mm-hmm. detect them. We use in in the BPS, and I and I have to give you know my props to BPS and 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 their their office of opportunity gap, and and the material that they develop for us to begin and and start this work, you know, as a foundation for this work. Um, we do it on the lens of what we call the uh, seven forms of biases, you know, so. Mm-hmm. We look at we look at it in, in terms of, of of those lenses. So we look at that and we begin to um, identify areas where um, maybe the curriculum, you know, have some stereotypes in it. You know, how do mm-hmm. how do we identify those? Number one, but more specifically, how do we use them in terms of our instructional approach with our students? So I, our students can recognize the stereotypes, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know uh, of of the biases and 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 things and things of that nature. Um. And so we begin we begin to to look at you know from from these from these lenses as I mentioned before. And then once we do that, we we challenge each other. You know, we challenge myself and and the coaches like how can we modify, you know, how can we modify our curriculum or our how can we modify our instructional approach that um, call these things out. I mean, mm-hmm. let's just let's just call them out, right? So, how do we modify it to call them out, and then how do we address them? That um, how do we address them so students can also be able to not all, not only call them out in in their own class and and that particular math class, but in any class, right? Um, mm-hmm. Whether it's ELA, whether it's history, right? So we look at things of you know, what we call in, in invisibility. Mm-hmm. Don't see, make a last impression, right? And so, which means that most of our material always omit traditionally mar- marginalized or underrepresented communities, Black and Brown communities, right? Mm-hmm. Or it's a side note. It's, it's some, and some of the cur- curriculum has improved over the time, but still, you know, the majority of curriculum that we use is still have, you know, Black and Brown um, communities as a side note or indigenous people mm. as a side note, Right. And then it also paint these rosy pictures, you know, I can think of a lot of history books that paint slavery, our period of slavery, as it was something great, right? Like it helped the economy and black people enjoyed being slaves because they, you know, they did these things, right? So they painted these rosy picture, you know, of of slavery or they paint rosy pictures of founding of of America, right? It Mm wasn't rosy. You know, founding, you know, uh, this country in which I'm a citizen of, right? It, it wasn't rosy. It was mm-hmm. blood. It was, you know, a, a lot of things happened, um, and, and and just the matter, you know, and, and founding this country, right? And so, how do we take all of that, and how do we recognize all of that in our curriculum, and be able to connect those things with the Black and Brown students in front of us? How do we create those? Um, you know, lack of a better word, tough conversations, those tough dialogues or those tough classroom discourse that students will will um, begin to uh, connect themselves in what they're learning and begin to have it begin to connect them with that learning in, in a more cognitive and a more you know critical thinking you know uh, perspective, right? And, and you know me; I'm am a technologist, and I yes. and I love technology. And it is it is funny because we have you know awesome technology in front of us that that students can use as a tool.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio, and um, we've been interviewing Artist C Street, who is a transformational coach and a math coach and a math teacher. Um, in the Boston public schools. And um, he's been talking about his experiences of teaching in a school that is predominantly um, students of color. And um, in this next segment, he'll be talking about um, about teaching uh, math and how to integrate social justice into uh, mathematics teaching.
2: And, and one of the things I've learned, um, you know, again, from, from my perspective as a ninth grade, you know, math teacher, uh, Mm -hmm. and I, and and high school and ninth grade is, is like my passion is my heart. Um, Mm. (laughs) uh, because it's, it's, it's an, it's an age where, you know, you're, you know, there's, they're still, uh, you know, finding themselves as a young adult, so to speak, you know what I mean? Um, (laughs) I find it such an intriguing age, right? Um, I did, I did do a, a when I transitioned to education. Just you know, actually, I, I'm gonna go back a little bit, and I'm, I'm just a sidebar. Yeah. When I, was in, when I was in graduate stu- graduate school at University of South Florida, working on my master's in electrical engineering, I did substitute teaching as my way <gasps> of making money. Right. And they used to love to give me seventh grade and uh, elementary. <laughs> you know. Oh grade. no. Yeah, I said too. Oh no. You know, where you have your grade school, bless those teachers, you know, where the teachers where the students just come by you and just sneeze right in front of your face. <laughs> <laughs> so bless those teachers. Um, and then you have the middle schools where you can, you can determine their moods based on the time of the day, right? They're very, they're <laughs> very sluggish in the morning after lunch. You know, they were very active and so much energy, uh, you know, and so, uh, so I did that for a spell, but I just, I, and I said that that's because I have, that's why I have a love for, uh, high school is that <laughs> they're at that, you know, that transitional age. But, but the first thing we got to do, um, and and I, and I and i imagine this is probably in any grade we we have to dismantle that self oppression that black and brown students bring with them in math and science classes right and and mm-hmm. what do i mean by that right um first of all they come to the class they come in school in math and science uh as with a labor, label of failure right yeah. They probably failed. And, and, and this label of failure has nothing to do with their actual performance capability or their interest. Right. But they come in with this label of failure. If they, you know, they receive low grades or failing grades and math, you know, um, over a, a long period of time and still, you know, um, you know, got social promotion and and, you know, I'm I'm not speaking one way or another against social promotion. Um, but they ha- they come in with this label, you know, of, of having failed uh, math. And so, so their mindset is that they're what? They're failures, you know, when it comes to math and science, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one. And the other one, they come in because they hear and they see the same things we're hearing and seeing, right? They come in with this... Uh, deficit model mindset. They come in with mm. the achievement gap mindset. They come in with the philosophy that Black and Brown students or Black and Brown people cannot be successful in math and science mm. uh, the 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 results and the the test scores keep saying whites and Asians are better at math and science. So they come right. in with that philosophy, right? Mm-hmm. And then, um. But but with that, they don't understand or someone haven't shared with them the notion that they were already set up through through the curriculum, through assessments, through, you know. Through it's what, not
1: genetic.
2: It's not it is. genetic.
1: Right. It's almost as though like that, oh, you know, white and Asian students do better math is so like disconnected from all the other like social, like you're saying, the setting up of that particular failure um which makes it seem like oh it's natural genetic but yeah exactly it's not natural <laughs>
2: yeah so, so we have to first dismantle those self-oppression thoughts uh, mm-hmm. self-oppressing thoughts that the students come in with you know this label of failure uh this label of you know i'm not supposed to um you know uh, be a great performer and, and math and science, right? Um, mm-hmm. lack of knowledge on understanding the systematic racism, um, in education. And I for one, you know, always believe in, and still to this day that education, um, could be a great equalizer, right? Um, in yeah. terms of, understanding where how, you know, different perspective and how things come about. So education is important. But we also have to understand that some people have used education as a tool as well, to oppress, you know, black and brown, you know, students and black and brown people. And so, so how we as educators dismantle, you know, that strategy and that tool that you know that is being used to uh, you know hold our people back to oppress our people, right? And so how how do we continue um, to to dismantle that? So we got to first dismantle those. And so how did I do that, right? And mm-hmm. that be the next question: How did I do that, right? Yeah. So I I, I pull from some of the you know again uh, culturally relevant teaching philosophy, the critical race theory mm-hmm. lens. I wanted my students to first understand their own math identities, right? Okay. I, I I asked them, and this is this happens. These things that I'm telling you now kind of happen, like within the first couple of weeks of of, of the school year with my student. I asked them to write a one pager of how they feel about math. You know, it's an open write. You know, give me a one pager what is your, you know, what do you, what is your views on math? How do you feel about mm-hmm. math? You know, I just throw out all these prompts. What was your experience in math? You know, I give them, uh, you know, I, I, I allow them to write. And of course, the first complaint you get, right? This is not an ELA class. Why are we writing? This is a math class. <laughs> <laughs> right? Which, is, which, leads, which leads into my next one, right? And I'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, I said no. We, we want. I want to understand where you are and, and and you're thinking about math, right? Mm-hmm. So you get a small percent, and, and it never changed. year after year. Same thing. Ten to fifteen percent of my students uh, had good experiences with math. All right. So they're they're you know they're the what some will consider the high achievers, right? And so mm-hmm. they would you know they would have you know good experience with math, but the rest you know will will always write something in nature of. They always receive failing grades. They never got it. Um, things would always happen too fast, you know. So they, they, all these negative connotation and negative experiences um, with math, right? Mm-hmm. And, and how I do that actually, when they write it, I have them not put their name on it, right? Um, no, no, mm-hmm. take that back. They do put their name on it, but I have them ball it up and we do a paper fight. Oh, and, <laughs> yeah. And so all the papers are mixed up, and then everybody now pick up somebody else's paper, right? And they get to read someone else's paper um, instead of their own. So now, you know, I'm kind of creating this learning atmosphere where, uh, you know, creating a safe learning environment at the same time. So I'm, I'm setting the tone and the norms of my of my class while getting them to identify, you know, their math identities It's one of one of the things. Right. And so we need <laughs> to talk about that and in the classroom discourse of why. You know those things that they're written are the case, and so we begin to talk about them and we reflect on them periodically. You know as we go on, you know through the year. So they yes, they had journals, they had writing journals in my math class, you know to allow them to reflect on where they were. So that's the first thing. The second thing is to get them to understand that math is a language, that math has a language, right? Like in any other um, any other content, they there's tier three vocabulary. You know, for math and there's there's if you will, there's laws and rules and properties of how math was, you know, math and science are are defined and everything builds on that language. It builds on those properties. It builds on those rules. Right. And so they have to have a you know, we all have to have a fundamental understanding of that just just so our approach to a problem, our approach to the content will be one that we understand the language, what is being asked for us to do Mm -hmm. right and so I equate that with their languages with their own Mm. yeah what does that mean so they come I have a diverse classroom you know I have students from Cape Verde you know they come in with Uh um, Cape Verdean uh, Creole and Portuguese I have students Mm -hmm. from DR Dominican Republic Puerto Rico Mm -hmm. um you know I have kids from uh Haiti Haitian Creole I have kids um from jamaica you know speaking jamaican patois you know Mm. uh then we we've seen a uh increased number of students from brazil um you know in our schools and we've seen an increased number of students from nigeria you know who's Mm. speaking some nigerian languages and so we kind of equate that with just like you just like all of you come from different places and you have different languages if i Mm. if you started speaking your language how many students and this class would understand that if you do not teach them, you know, the basics of your language so they can understand mm-hmm. what you're saying. Right. And mm-hmm. we begin to do some of that, you know, teaching everybody how to say hello in their language or, Oh, that's great oh. in that language. And so now we learn about, you know, how do we write um, math? How, what does it mean to say less than, how do you write that in an algebraic expression? How do you write to, you know, uh, 16 degrees less than two times, you know, an angle. How do you write that in math language or Mm -hmm. interpreting your units or your results? What does that mean to Mm interpret your, your, your results, making sure you're using, using units, right? Mm -hmm. Because just saying two and don't have miles, feet, uh, you know, or, or kilometers, it can be anything. It can be inches, Mm -hmm. you know, it can Mm -hmm. be, so math is a language. And the third thing, and 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 again, this is all I'm setting up in the beginning of the school and, and and reinforcing throughout, is that we have to share with our students the accomplishments of math and science uh, contribution by Black and Brown people. Mm-hmm. We have to share that you know with our students because the, again, remember I I said they don't see themselves in math, they don't see themselves right in science. So when I begin to show them people who have done some great things both from a modern day perspective and a historical perspective, who have done some great things around math and science, then it becomes like, "Oh, okay." You know, if I share with if I share with them people like Mark Dean, Dr. Mark Dean who has one of the original IBM patents, you know, in the personal computer, or if I share with them, you know, folks like Dr. Uh, Guy Bluford or Dr. Mae Jemison, who's in the NASA, you know, space program, you know, uh, being the first in space, right? Black female being the first black mm-hmm. female in space. Or if I share with them people like Nicole Lyons, the first black female in NASCAR, right? Mm-hmm. Pete in NASCAR. or. Or and I also got to switch it up outside of math and science. Remember, I got to meet students where they are. So I got yeah, yeah. I got to talk about the first and like maybe in sports or in, in oh right in cooking or maybe you know things like that. I have to talk about mm-hmm. first, like like maybe a Clifford uh, a Seaford and 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 the professional who received the first professional uh, PGA golf. Card, but Bill Spiller, who was the first who qualified to be in a PGA, but they wouldn't let him play because they had a Caucasian only clause in their constitution, right? Wow. In the PGA, um, you know, uh, so mm-hmm. so, uh, and I begin to introduce these people. Um, In my class, and I hang their pictures around my classroom. So it's constantly there Mm. in front of them, right? These are modern time people. And then I talk about historical perspective. You know, the easiest ones is like talk about the the Egyptians with the Egyptian pyramids, right? And and the Sphinx, things that are still standing to this Mm -hmm. day. And the astro- mm-hmm. and the the uh, the, uh, the famous astronomers and, and things like that things that we continue to use to this day mapping out the skies you know it, yep. it was it was black and brown people who who've done that they're not they may not be in literature but when we deep when we dig deeper um, I should not I should say they may not be in the most used or the common literature that are used in education but if we dig deeper and search deeper we'll find them and so yep. And and you know I can't I can't name and I don't know all of them, but we begin to explore this together, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they begin to to and it's actually an assignment I give them. We have a research project on on students of black and brown, and with those three things, now I can frame the the standards, the content, Mm -hmm. the different units in mathematics. I can begin to frame all of those units with those perspectives in mind and 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 watch the stud- watch the students grow watch the students dismantle their own thinking around what they cannot do or math is hard or mm-hmm. math is not for me um mm-hmm. and begin to take them on, in places where they see other uh engineers right i i remember taking a trip with a, a group of students from my uh nesby as i mentioned before they have these annual conferences, and I remember taking one of my um, uh, a charter members of Nesby from the school, and I took him to this convention, and uh, he was in awe. And I was, and I asked him, I said, "You know, how you doing?" He's like, "Wow, I never knew that that was this many black engineers," and <laughs> um, and, and those type of statements and those type of um, you know feedback I get from students affirm. That, you know, what we're doing in this work um, is needed and what we're doing in this work does make uh, a difference. And so so that's that's my approach. And then and then, you know, you begin you begin to supplement, you know, your your curriculums and your units. Um, You know, for example, um, I used to uh, I was starting an initiative with uh, Bob Moses from the Algebra Project. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, some of the things of how he approached algebra, you know, from uh, the lens of the civil rights movement, you know, down, you know, from the South and, mm. you know, and it connected students, you know, to um, some of the things we were doing in class. And the the un- the, the unfortunate part of all of that is that when you discover these things, um, b- because of, you know, the the hoops and the 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 steps you got to take it, it's you don't see these things in a district in a school district like ours you don't you don't get these things from a, a, a you know a comprehensive or a uh, right you know you have to point. seek it out you got to seek it out and then you got to use them in bits and pieces because it's not there you know some school districts around the country has adopted some of these you know um approaches but um not yet we haven't yet um but there, there's promise, and and we're we're looking at many of things, but and and it's not a notion, you know, the the excuse that you sometimes get is it's not it's not like you watering down anything, right? Matter of fact, right. you're, you're kind of stepping it up. You're not watering down anything. You're kind of stepping it up, and 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 kids will be able to connect. And you can connect them to the standards in a way that when you supplement it, no matter mm-hmm. how the how the question is phrased to the students on these standardized tests um, and these, you know, standardized assessment, they'll still be able to approach them, you know, in a way because they can reflect on, you know, some connections they're made, um, they're made in classrooms.
1: Right. Cause I think in STEM in particular, but also ELA, it's linked to testing Mm -hmm. Um, high stakes testing. Yeah. So a lot of the reasons, reasons why I think math teachers don't necessarily seek out this, you know, this approach is, is, pr- I think, you know, because they're focused on getting students prepared for the high stakes testing. But I, I think it's so refreshing to hear your approach to math. Uh, it's
2: sparked the memory for me when you, when you mentioned standardized testing again, um, one of the things I recognize, you know, uh, in, in these ninth grade class, and it, it was kind of prevalent around, you know, other uh, the classes as well. And you wonder why, uh, you know, a lot of students didn't didn't fan well is instead of approaching like open response questions and what mm-hmm. answer questions with just answer them, starting off with what they know, you know, yeah. even even if they feel they don't know it completely, just just put something down on what they know. Mm-hmm. Would always put IDK. They oh, weigh them right. like, okay, we're going to give you a series of short answers. We're going to give you a series of open response questions, and they're going to be weighed pretty heavily. So if if I'm a student and I put IDK on all of those answers, so my chances of even, you know, failing well or meeting the benchmarks are going to be very low, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, we we definitely got to dismantle this IDK. Right? And was the first one, you know, I put around the whole building and all over my room, like IDK with a big circle, red circle and a line. No more acceptance of any work they gave me. I gave it back to them. No, not acceptable. You're going to, whatever you know, whatever you think the answer is, you're going to write something. But it was just building on that, right? It was just building right. on taking away that IDK uh, philosophy and just start from what you know, right? Start right. from what you know. and um, And so when we, again, that goes back to, you know, math as a language, that goes back to having confidence in your own identity and who you are, because you do know something, right? You do bring something to the table, right? Mm-hmm. You may mm-hmm. not believe it's related because of the way they phrase the question, but you do bring something to the table. And so, right. put put what you bring to the table, and, and see where it tells you. And and what we found, what the students found, that as they start writing, they now things now become come return to their memory. Right, things return to them in terms of mm. what they did in class and, and problems we worked out. So they begin to remember some things um, that they did as they begin to write. So we also have to understand that um, students learn in different ways, right? Uh, yeah. Even within, yes. you know, and and our and our people and Black and Brown students, even within that that group, they're going to learn in different ways. So you got your analytical, you know, folks. You you have your um, uh, artistic, uh, you know, uh, uh, artistic approach. You have, you know, uh, in terms of of words, you know, the literary approach. You know, so people. You know, understand and hands-on. You know, you have your kinetics. You know, yeah, yeah. Ground, you know, so so people learn in different ways, right? Uh, as a matter of fact, if you uh, you know if we travel in different regions of the world, you would see that they teach math in different ways, right? If you go, um, you know, to you know some countries in in, in Africa, or if you go to Japan or China, um, they are mm-hmm. to mathematics, right? You know this, right? Um, yeah, some of your heritage and and their, their approach to, to mathematics is a different way. And so that's the same as in, in our classroom. And so when we, as a teacher, okay. Um, we as teachers, as educators, so it's targeted at all of us, we have to recognize Mm -hmm. that when we present material, that we have to present it from different perspectives. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is another way of, of, of unpacking biases and, and, um, and systematic racism, right? Because right. most of the perspective is from a European, you know,
0: mm.
2: white European perspective, right? Yeah. At, at the way they write the textbook, the way they approach problems, the way they approach new concepts, right. it's all mm-hmm. from that perspective, right? Yeah. And so if I'm one that is not really, you know, that perspective, you know, doesn't really move me, you know, as fast as maybe another perspective, I may grasp the material a little slower, right, than, than everyone right. else, right? It may take me a little bit more time. But if I was an educator, and if I, you know, I took a unit like maybe systems of linear equations, right? And I did different perspectives of that, right? And I did that in, in group assignments, right? And hmm. group discussions. So um, I introduced linear system of uh, systems of linear equation, how to solve them, in small groups, like I would develop small groups and they would have to approach, you know, these, these groups in different ways. One was an almost like an analytical group. It was all, you know, algebraic expressions and things like that. One was actually application problems, you know, because if you look at most textbooks, they want to give you all the theory first, then you got all this drill and kill practice, and then they want to give you the application problems. But when they Mm -hmm. test you, They mostly test you on either speed of drill and kill or some application problem that throw in a different twist, right? Mm -hmm. Throw in a different Mm -hmm. thinking um, that you you have to think about, you know, from a real world standpoint. They will throw that in. All right. But did we train our students to think that way from the very beginning? right? If we, if we use just one approach. And, mm-hmm. and so now, you know, of course, peers love to hear from their own peers, right? So the, right. <laughs> the more student voice you have, you know, the more they're, you know, they're just, they're sitting there like glued to, you know, the speaker, right? And so right. I even approach, you know, uh, some lessons in, in that way in different perspectives. And I, and I try mm-hmm. to do that in more and more units, because of like, again, the different uh, different ways that that we learn and um, right. we, we all do not learn the same way right
1: welcome back you're listening to indigo radio on 107.7 fm brattleboro community radio station um, you've been listening to an interview i did with artist c street who is an um, phd student at university of massachusetts boston he's my cohort mate and and um, he also teaches math um, at the University of Massachusetts at Boston and also um, at public school. Um, and he's also transformational coach where he works with um, teachers uh, to work to undo the white supremacy and the racism within the curriculum. Um, and so... Um, this is part one of a two series uh, of looking at how to integrate mathematics and social justice. So next week, actually next week, um, in in reaction in reaction to um, Veterans Day, um, we're going to be playing an interview with um, the. With Patrick um, O'Neill, who is uh, going to prison for, I think, 14 months. Um, I interviewed him um, about him and uh, his group, the um, Kings Bay um, Seven, the Plowshares. So um, they are, uh, they come in the lineage of Daniel and Philip Bergin, who um were anti-war activists, where they were Catholic priests and anti-war activists in the 1960s. They were part of the, um, I pronounce it wrong, I think it's called Canton, C-A-N-T-O-N, I think. Um, The Canton Nine, I think it was. Um, They, you know, broke into the draft office and they burnt all the um, draft cards and um, after the war ended, Philip and Daniel Bergen continued to be um, agitators, and they went and um, broke into uh, facilities that had nuclear weapons. And um, so uh, I think it's Daniel Bergen's partner, um, Liz McAllister, um, And um, Patrick O'Neill and um, five others broke into the um, Kings Bay Naval Base um, in Georgia, and uh, and they, you know, did a theatrical um, what they would call at uh, agitation, agitprop, I suppose, Um, and uh, they got arrested because at the Kings Bay. Um, base, they have the Trident missiles, which are very, uh, not specific, but um, they're very laser focused um, missiles that, you know, target very, very precisely and um, which cuts down on the reaction time. But there are like a number of um, submarines, so again, undetectable um, so Patrick O'Neill, um, was gracious enough to interview me right before he has to go to prison. And, um, it was a very good interview that talks about the history, um, and also, uh, his actions and his involvement and why he does it. Um, and he talks about also his children who are activists, um, on the border in Tucson with no more deaths. And so it's a really, good interview um please stay tuned it drops next sunday the 8th for veterans day and then the week after um uh la la la, la. at 15th i think november 15th um i we will have uh, the second part of this show about math and social justice um with Jadi or jadiela cruz is an educator a math educator in um, western Massachusetts and she talks um, about how she integrates social justice and gives examples of um, lessons that she's done so please stay tuned for that and um, we're going to go out with something positive Um, climbing poetry we rising up Uh
0: Lives matter worldwide till the end of time We rising up Can't nobody stop us, the love we got's colossal We rising up What supremacy your throne's about to topple We rising up All All imposters of power petrified like fossils Hit the throne with my smile I ain't big Contrive. we be alive no matter the gun, mooses and wits, we be our son, constantly repeat, inside the lie, we be the truth no matter the time, yeah we arrive, this in the sky, Shatter the virus, we be the ones, we be strong inside this fight, no matter what, don't be polite, make this freedom look so bright, running at the speed of light. the seeds are on our side, look at how we ride, we don't need your guns, we got people power and a play with the divine. Tire la asesinar, la gente se resistance is a natural response, how you gonna tell me that we ain't bound for freedom? Man, you can't trick us, we got eyes to see us, we be looking beautiful despite your amnesia Against the contagious, trigger happy fever, your violence needs a surgical procedure Beautiful beyond imagination The children of cosmic dust Wrapped in enigma made flesh Black people are supernatural Drum magic and time travel Black people are rising Black people are significant Magnificent, omnipresent Resilient, immeasurable Unstoppable, indispensable Brilliant, black people are eternal Ancient ancestors of the entire planet Black people are breathtaking, the creators of this nation, the cornerstone of liberation. Black people are genius, black people are people on a mission to get free by any means necessary. Black people are the heart of my soul, my breath. Black people are the source. Black people are a gorgeous rebellion by the simple act of being.